Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, Hamilton and Burlington City Councils have voted to opt in for retail cannabis stores. Also, the idea is being floated for photo radar on the link on the Red Hill Parkway. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Yesterday at Hamilton Council and, uh, and uh, Burlington City Council, it was all about pot. Uh, because we are very closely coming to the deadline imposed by the province as to whether uh, communities are going to opt in or opt out of the uh, the cannabis rules, of course, and to have retail stores. Uh, by a 10 to 6 vote yesterday, Hamilton Council finally uh, said yes and gave it a thumbs up. Joining us to talk about this is Brad Clark. Brad, of course, City Councilor for Ward 9, and uh, he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Brad, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. I appreciate it, Bill. Thank you. Well, let me, I, I, I want to get into some of the nuances of of the discussion yesterday, but first of all, were you surprised it took as long? There was almost a three-hour session, and uh, that, that, that I think, shocked a lot of people that it would have taken that long. Um, I, I wasn't surprised. I knew that a few councillors were wrestling uh, with the philosophical issue of cannabis and, of course, their past personal positions that um, drugs are bad, and, and so... I, I think that was a bit of the issue with regards to the length of time. Problem with that, of course, is that uh, that was not really what was on the table. This was not about morality. This was uh, this was about you know whether or not you're going to allow the the sale of a legal substance in the community. You know, when, once you got past the philosophical issue and and recognize that the federal government has uh, made it legal and that the provinces are moving ahead, specifically Ontario, then it really was a question. Does the city of Hamilton want to adopt um, uh, a process whereby uh, cannabis retail stores can be put in Hamilton that would create a little over a thousand jobs if you you end up with about fifty stores um, and and a significant economic uplift? Well, but having said that, though, uh, you know, we talked about first of all the length of the meeting, but uh, this almost uh, did not make it yesterday. There was a vote to actually give this a thumbs down, and it lost on a tie. Yes, um, the policies are that if it's a tie vote, then the item goes down to defeat. Um, the clerk provided um, an interesting legal interpretation that given that the province um, uh, wanted an answer, and if um, the, the decision went down to defeat on a tie vote, then the automatic answer to the province was, yes, you're opting in. Well, that's a different and wrinkle. Did that surprise you? Yes, it did. Um, I was surprised because that's not normally the process. On a tie vote, it would go down to defeat. Then you would test another motion in the opposite direction, and but they both go down to defeat. Then normally the municipality would then be neutral and not have a position. Um, but legal and the clerks um, were quite adamant that that's the way um, the government of Ontario had positioned the question. Uh, so then I think at that point, councillors realized, well, we're already in for a penny, might as well be in for a pound. You mentioned that some of your colleagues on council, of course, were having some problems wrestling with this, uh, maybe from a moral standpoint, I guess. That is, and and that, that's, that's they're obviously their right to do so. But uh, let's talk about how you got to, to where you are. You supported the motion yesterday, too. Is this, was it difficult for you, or were you supportive of this right from the get-go? Uh, I did a lot of research in terms of how we treated other uh, businesses in the city of Hamilton. So I approached the bill very methodically. It was a legal product. The stores are legal and highly regulated. Um, and as a result, 
um, we can move forward with some type of, of system in the city. Yes, we wouldn't have the opportunity to license them, uh, but that's not unusual. Uh, we don't license LCBOs or, or, or bars. So the, the bottom line from my standpoint was that the issue of a radio separation of 150 or 300 meters from the school was a non-starter because uh, right across the city of Hamilton, we have bars in in direct line of sight to schools and nobody has ever issued or was concerned about radio separation there. And we see drunks falling out of these bars in the middle of the day. Um, so I, I didn't see, I thought, I thought that was really just a non-start. It wasn't really an issue. Um, and then I looked at the actual economic uplift uh, and the fact that we would be better off adopting an opt-in position to discuss our future concerns about cannabis regulations with the province than we would be if we stood on the outside with our arms crossed. One of the other points that kept coming up time and time again, of course, were policing costs, which I thought was a bit of a, 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 a red herring as well. I mean, I, I can't understand, Brad, how policing costs now that you've you've gone forward on this are going to be any more expensive than they already are. I mean, you've already got police running around trying to keep a, an eye on what at one point was 81 illegal shops. And, and as it's I'm in the same boat as you. I looked at it. The police budget was approved last year. In that budget, they already utilized um, their services to deal with uh, drug and illegal drugs. Uh, So if they're doing um, uh, a fight against the actual black market of cannabis, they already have the funding. So the deputy chief did clarify that this is just an idea of what the actual chargebacks would be, the actual cost would be if we were to start fresh on this. Um, but realistically, they're operating from an approved budget, and they're treating it as as a crime, the black market, and that's what they should be doing. And so they are uh, going to be shutting down other black market stores and locking the doors, which I think is great. It's, it's long overdue. Brad, was this a general issues meeting or a city council meeting yesterday? This was a special city council meeting. So, so, th- so this is done. It's been made. Okay, so it's over then. It doesn't have to be ratified now. That is 100% correct. So what, what happens going forward now? Interestingly enough, of course, uh, we got the results of the, the lottery that the province uh, did about who was actually going to get these first licenses. Uh, a number of them are going to be available right here in the Hamilton area. I guess the, the doors are open for you, those people to do business here now. Uh, that's correct. Now the AGCO will be working with those uh, successful um, licensees. And, and they have a specific time frame in terms of getting their shops ready to open on on April 1. Brad Clark, uh, the uh, Councillor for Ward 9. Brad, thanks as always. I appreciate the time today. My pleasure, Bill. Have a great day. You too. Uh, as we mentioned, this was also a hot issue yesterday evening at Burlington City Council, where they had to wrestle with this idea. Uh, yesterday on our Mayor's Town Hall, uh, Burlington Mayor Marion Mead Ward uh, suggested it was going to be pretty close. Uh, she joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to bring us up to speed. Uh, Ma- Marianne, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us today. Great to be back, Bill. Well, you got you got a thumbs up on this yesterday. Uh, were you surprised by the vote? I didn't know how it would go. Uh, we It was 5-2 in the end, which is a pretty comfortable majority. Uh, you know, I, I, I knew that uh, that my council was really wrestling with this, as they should. You know, there are tough issues, there were significant concerns, and I couldn't be prouder of each and every one of our council members who took the time to learn about this, truly understand the, the, where the public concerns were, and also what we could do and what the right thing to do was. And, and I do believe we made the right decision. This protects our community by providing safe, legal access to a legal product. Now, unlike the Hamilton Council meeting yesterday, uh, you actually took public delegations yesterday, didn't you? 
We did, yes. We had we heard from six delegations, four of whom were in favor of opting in and uh, two that were not. Uh, we, we always want to hear from the public right up to the minute that we make the decision. And so, it really helped. There was always new information. This is such a fast-changing file that, you know, you learn something new every day on this. We, we've heard about some of the other arguments uh, that uh, came from, well, not just Hamilton or Burlington, really, but some of the other communities. Uh, radio separation and the provincial guidelines on that. Was that, that, that a concern with your council, too? That did come up, but the issue is that, that kids can't even get into the stores. So, uh, And the advertising of them, the signage is heavily regulated as well. So at the end of the day, what we wanted to do is, is make sure our decision was based on who benefits. And, uh, you know, the only people that benefit from opting out is the black market. And so we don't want the bad guys to benefit. We want our residents to benefit who we're asking overwhelmingly in surveys, town halls, emails, and even in delegations. There was overwhelming support to opt in. That's what our residents wanted, and that's what we did. What about the illegal operations? Did you have? I, I, I don't know that I've actually even seen a number, but what, if any, we're in Burlington. I know I, I just mentioned at one point uh, Hamilton eight eighty one illegal operations. I think it's down to about twenty five or thirty right now. But was it a problem with Burlington? I, I know of one. When I was a counselor, there was one operating in my ward that was uh, fairly quickly shut down, uh, but I don't know of any others that, that were operating. So it, that was not an issue, having illegal uh, bricks and mortar. The, the biggest issue, of course, is the illegal sale of, of cannabis because you don't know where it's grown, you don't know what it might be laced with, you don't know uh, the quality of the product, the strength. Uh, you know that This is putting our residents at risk, and so... Uh, we did the right thing by by legalizing this it, the same way that you know decades ago uh, communities legalized alcohol. I'm sure they had many of the same conversations back then as we are now about cannabis. But we did the right thing then, and we did the right thing now. I, I was just talking to Councillor Clark here in Hamilton about their vote, and and obviously we we talk about some of the folks who has, still have opposition to this, and some of it's on moral grounds. But you you tend to think in politics that uh, that those lines get blurred an awful lot, don't they? I mean, you know, you just talked about alcohol and. And there are some people that are just, you know, totally against that and, and are going to kick up a fuss any time this is going on. I remember one of my first debates years ago was whether or not there was going to be casinos. And way back in the 1960s, there was Sunday shopping. I mean, on and on it goes. And, uh, so <laughs> yeah. morality tends to, to creep into these discussions one way or another, doesn't it? Well, I, I think there's a world of difference between uh, your views on whether somebody should consume a product and whether it should be legally available to people to make their own choice. And that we went with the latter, that it, you know, it is a legal product, which I think is the right decision. It shouldn't be criminalized. And so that was the right decision at the federal level, and, and now we need to make room for it. So you know, this, this also um, cuts into the use of opioids. There are people in our community everywhere that, that were on opioids that have found that CBD oils, or uh, cannabis generally helps them with, uh, you know, get off, get off whatever the opioids were treating. That's a highly addictive, lethal substance, and and so, you know, we need to give our residents that opportunity. What happens next? I ask the same question of Hamilton Council. We we know as we talked about yesterday when you were here for the town hall uh, that uh, there's an opportunity here for a number of uh, licensed uh, stores now to show up. It, well, it could be Hamilton or Burlington. We don't even know right now. Do you aggressively go after them, or do you sit back and wait for the phone to ring? Well, we have uh, stores that that are ready to go now, but but most of them uh, don't have a license. There's only six that are being handed out 
in the GTA region, which is what Burlington is a part of, and it covers a massive area, Peel, York, Halton. So, you know, will we even get one? I don't know. I mean, some of those larger communities have opted out, and so it's quite possible that that we will. Uh, But we heard from a number of those those businesses in December, and they are all – legitimate, responsible businesses. One of them has the former head of the OPP on their board. You know, this is, um, you know, this is, this is a business now as selling a legal product in a safe, controlled manner. It's interesting how that's turned around, hasn't it? Uh, and one of the great ironies, of course, uh, you just talked about the former OPP commissioner uh, is now a board director in one of the major companies. Uh, Julian Fantino, of course, who was at one time the uh, chief of police in the city of Toronto and, of course, an uh, OPP commissioner, uh, is now a strong yes. advocate for this. I mean, this is the guy that fought against exactly. this for the longest time. But obviously, when the debate started, uh, they see this as a business opportunity. Well, it is a business opportunity. It, it's just like the sale of alcohol is. And, and, you know, we in this province have started to loose the controls on that to allow grocery stores in a very limited way. And I think the public is, has been ready for some time for standalone retail outlets. And I think we've learned from that experience that, uh, you know, we just jumped straight to that with, the, with cannabis, is allow the private sector to, uh, to provide this product and let su- supply and demand in, in something that's heavily regulated, and it is. And the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, you know, they are, they are serious people, and they've shut down bars in downtown Burlington that did not comply with the rules. I've been part of licensing hearings, applying conditions. We couldn't compel them, but we made a case, and in one case they, um, they adopted all of the conditions that the community had asked for. So having get, been through and dealt with the AGCO, I'm confident that they will uh, do their job, which is to regulate this, and also listen very carefully to communities when they ask for regulations. And in Burlington, we, um, as part of our vote, also struck a citizens advisory committee to come up with those guidelines so that every time there's a license application, we've got that 15 days to give feedback. We are going to be ready to give community feedback, and the AGCO will listen. They did before. Burlington Mayor Marianne Meadboard. Uh, Marianne, thanks as always for the time. Really appreciate it today. Thank you. Take care. Glad to be here. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. So Hamilton is in, Burlington is in, St. Catharines is in, uh, KW is in, uh, Oakville not. They've decided to opt out. But uh, last week, of course, uh, what motivated an awful lot of this was, first of all, the deadline imposed by the provincial government, but the Ontario government also announced the results of its lottery. Uh, Four of those entrants were given to the Hamilton area, this jurisdiction around southwestern Ontario. As uh, Burlington Mayor Mary Ann Mead Ward uh, just told us a couple of minutes ago, of course, uh, Burlington's in a different jurisdiction, but and there's only six licenses allowed there, and I don't know where those are going to go. But uh, it's interesting to see as uh, more and more communities uh, make their decisions about this, about the impact this is going to have. And I'm talking about from an economic standpoint. Joining us to talk about that is Olivia Brown, who is a professional cannabis consulting, and uh, she joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to give us uh, what's happening and what's going to happen going forward. Olivia, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us again. Thank you for having me again. Thank you so much. You know, I, as I, I read more about this, and I think more and more of us are trying to do as much research as we can to get a little a handle on what's going on here. Uh, I, I am amazed at uh, to the extent to, uh, that this industry has grown in the last little while. Uh, obviously, the medical marijuana industry was there for quite some time, but it was kind of under the radar for a lot of people unless you had to use the stuff. 
But now yeah. that we've moved into the recreational realm, uh, I see I see businesses popping up. I see new businesses, uh, consulting firms, obviously like yours. Yeah. Uh, there are web pages that are going on. People doing design on that. People putting input into this. Uh, it, the, you know, to suggest that wow, that shop might only employ seven or eight people, uh, really doesn't give you a clear picture as to what's really happening with this industry, does it? Correct. Yes. Uh, there is just jobs, jobs, jobs. I am so excited. Uh, to have every single other industry uh, be working or somehow involved with the cannabis industry. There's room for everybody. Well, and, and again, I, I, I hate to use the term like mainstream because I think that t- tends to, to, I guess, really just substantiate the, the myth that a lot of people have that this is uh, the Cheech and Chong stuff that's going on. This has oh, been. Oh, no, no, we're way past that. Long, I hope really so. I hope so in a lot of people's minds. This is like the yoga moms, this is the, the blue-collar workers, this is the skilled trades. Everybody is, is using cannabis or is interested in using it. Uh, this whole Cheech and Chong thing is, is definitely in the past. And and those are the stories that that I think you know we, we need to talk about. Because uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've known people that have used this stuff for years. Uh, and they're professionals. I mean, you know, well-paying jobs, well-known people in their community. And, yep. uh, you know, at the end of the day, instead of having a glass of wine, they, 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 they engage in this, and, and that's, yeah. uh, that's their relaxation. And it's, it, it's actually a lot healthier and a lot uh, safer. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, just, it's just fantastic. My husband and I recently <coughs> purchased a vaporizer that was designed by um, scientists that used to work at NASA. So it, it's just incredible what's happening. Talk to us about the impact this is going to have economically. And you know, as I said, I've I've been to a couple of communities right now that are already preparing for, uh, for this. Uh, Hamilton, of course, has already had a couple of plants that have been working uh, at full capacity for quite some time. One of them is yeah. actually expanding with a facility over in Stony Creek, the old athletic, the covered athletic field, yeah, uh, is absolutely. going to be a problem. So this this is this is happening around us. Yeah, it, it is, and and you know, it's kind of like everything else. It, it, it's always away from us until it, the prohibition ends. And now you're going to find really good business owners that practice good and safe business practices uh, taking over the illicit cannabis market, which is exactly what we wanted. I'm so glad Hamilton opted in, uh, because if they opted out, that would just be assuring that the illicit market would thrive. This way, opting in, it gives the chance for regular citizens and really good business owners to, to really expand and, and to introduce themselves into this industry. The revenue that this province and, and this municipality is going to see is like nothing we've seen before. Well, I know the Chamber of Commerce President, Keenan Loomis, when he was addressing council a couple of weeks ago when they were having one of their public sessions, uh, actually uh, drew the analogy. He said that uh, that cannabis could be the new steel when it comes to Hamilton's economy. Now, I know a lot of people kind of shook their heads and said, come on, get realistic about this, but uh, there's, well, po- there's it, potential yeah. here. Yeah, no, and it really does. And, and, we're, we're, and he's very smart in saying that because he's able to take a step back and look at the entire industry. So when you say the cannabis industry, that doesn't mean you know, 21-year-old kids working behind a counter at a dispensary selling pot. This is grow lights. This is skilled trades. This is hydroponics. This is greenhouses, infrastructure, employee training. Like, doing it right and doing it legal is the best thing we could have decided together as a community. There's no stopping us now. 
I was telling a story a couple of years ago uh, when I was doing a seminar. This was about medical marijuana, but I think the, the point is well taken here. Uh, I was talking to a gentleman that actually runs an operation up near Stainer uh, in the Collingwood area uh, who had a great job on Bay Street. He was doing very, very well as, as a professional businessman. Uh, gave it up, sold that interest, and, and bought into this place and started, and, and is doing incredibly well. And that was in the medical marijuana field. But I can see that sort of thing happening again. And uh, this is this is a legitimate business. This is not the oh, sort absolutely. of thing that's happening you know, in at some covert way right now. And it's uh, it's starting to, to pop up just about every place, not just to grow it, but obviously to process the products. Yes, and the other company that uh, I affiliate myself with is called uh, Cannabis Haven International. And this company is in charge of uh, making sure that people successfully apply for their micro capabilities, including micro grows, micro nurseries. So what we're trying to do is get a lot of the underground really good growers um, to, to get legal and, and to start growing and, and um, you know, putting a dent in the supply and demand problem that we have. Were you concerned about that? That was one of the stories, I think, that raised a few eyebrows when they decided to do this lottery for the licenses and yeah. limit the number of licenses because they said there's a problem with, with supply. Is, is that a concern going forward? Um, I, I wouldn't call it a concern. I'm actually quite excited about um, the supply and demand issue right now because the LPs, the licensed producers, they can't even keep up with the 200,000 medical patients. So introducing the rec um, community, there's no way that they'll ever be able to catch up. So I think that Ontario's and Health Canada's plan of introducing the micro capabilities, it's the same as the craft beer and the craft wine. The smaller batch craft people are going to carry this industry until the big guys catch up. There's always going to be a concern about government regulations and what that's going to do to the price, and and we see that happening well with alcohol, for instance. Uh, that you know, while so much of this is tax and there's the, there's the cost of doing business and these regulations that need to be met. Yeah. Uh, for the folks that are in the industry now and the ones that are just getting into it, uh, Olivia, is there concern about that that the government can be uh, a little bit too hands on on this initially? Well, I, I think that's kind of the price you pay to live in such a great country such as Canada. Uh, I, I pay hefty tax, corporate tax, income tax, um, all kinds of things that entrepreneurs pay. And I, I'm quite, I don't want to you know, sound like a jerk, but I'm quite happy to, to pay the taxes um, for the trade-off being able to operate legally and being able to live in such a great country. So I don't really have a problem with the taxes. I think we need taxes to continue to run the way we do. One of your clients is uh, actually one of the people that won one of the lottery positions on this. Uh, have you had a discussion about what's going to happen going forward with them? Uh, yeah, there's actually uh, many, many board meetings uh, scheduled. There's there's lawyers involved. There's non-disclosures involved. So I, I unfortunately I have to remain tight-lipped about it. Yeah. But the fr- you just you have to remember each of these companies that got picked have the ability in the next five or ten years to open as many as seventy-five stores each. So the franchise opportunities available coming to Hamilton and Burlington, everyone should be excited about. Now, I know you can't get into details, uh, client privilege, etc. I I get that. But just in a general sense, uh, what's the process going forward now? Do do these people get in touch with the municipalities? Uh, How does that dialogue start about exactly where they might want to actually locate some of these? Well, initially, the one or two shops that are going to be open. Yeah, I think a lot of people were kind of 
waiting for some decisions to be made by a few of the municipalities, such as Hamilton, um, which in turn, a lot of the entrepreneurs that have storefronts, um, they're either continuing to run, um, selling something else just to hold the place, or they're actually shut down and anticipating having a franchise opportunity. So you're going to see a lot of really brand new stores that aren't open yet for the next few months. So what are we going to see initially then, and and when are we going to see it? I mean, here we are just about at the end of January, oh, I guess the middle of the month is technically, but before everybody kind of gets their ducks in a row, uh, we're going to be into February, March, etc. When do we actually think you're going to see storefronts? There's lots of things we have to take into consideration with these storefronts. Um, That's the type of consulting I'm offering these companies. They have to take into consideration safe buffering, which is another subject on its own because many of these entrepreneurs have been holding locations and they don't meet the safe buffering guidelines. So unfortunately, they won't be able to put their store there. So there's a number of things that have to be done in order to get to April. So, so that's the that's the the dead the date that you're shooting for right now. Is that early April, April date 30. that the province talked about? Yes. And and as we talked about, I think last week when you were with us, uh, there are significant penalties for those that aren't ready for that date. Oh, yes. Just starting at fifty thousand dollars. So they're not messing around, and I'm I'm actually really happy with the way um, Health Canada and the province of Ontario are dealing with this. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see how this is going to roll forward and how it's going to have an impact on community. As we mentioned, uh, most of the uh, the communities around this area, the CHML listing area, have already uh, dealt with this, and and only a couple, I guess, uh, have decided to opt out. Uh, I, I get the sense that that even those that have opted out are probably going to have to reconsider that decision somewhere down the road. Oh, and absolutely, and that's the great thing. Um, that's the one positive thing about opting out now is they will have an opportunity in the future. And I think as soon as they see, you know, Hamilton and Burlington really thrive and succeed um, with no community safety worries, I-, I think in the future they will opt in. Olivia, thanks as always for the time and for the perspective on this. Really appreciate it. We'll stay uh, in touch as we go forward on this. Thank you so much, Bill. Take care. That's uh, Olivia Brown. She's with Professional Cannabis Consulting, one of many agencies, of course, another new business that started up because of uh, the legalization of cannabis. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Besides the cannabis issue, there was a very, very healthy discussion at Hamilton City Council yesterday about uh, traffic safety. Now, this is not a new issue. As long as they've started paving roads, there's always been a concern about traffic safety. And specifically, of course, here in this area, uh, to do with the Red Hill and, uh, to a lesser extent, the Link, although there have been fatalities and too many of them on both of those roadways. Uh, Councillor Samarula, among others, has been a strong advocate of uh, instituting photo radar on uh, these particular locations. Uh, but there's a problem with that, and it's provincial jurisdiction. So uh, they discussed that. They discussed a way to try to get around that and maybe even the implementation of photo radar on other streets here in this community. Joining us to talk about this is uh, John Paul Danko, the city councilor for Ward 8, uh, as he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. John Paul, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. My pleasure. Good morning. Good. Listen, I, I know that you referenced this yesterday at the meeting. Uh, just about anybody, I think, that ran for public office in the uh, the municipal elections a few months ago. You start knocking on doors and you start talking to residents. I, I Probably the, the number one issue time and time again and again, again is traffic safety, isn't it? It is, and it's it's surprising where you hear those concerns because traditionally when we think about speeding and traffic safety, we're thinking about 
the main roads, such as the Lincoln Red Hill, where there's high speeds, but also the main arterial roads. But um, a lot of the problem is also just within neighbourhoods, uh, in particular around school zones or around parks or recreation centres and those, those kinds of areas where there is cut-through traffic between the main roads. And for whatever reason, drivers, um, you know, at risk of sounding like, uh, you know, shaking my fist, but uh, there seems to be a, an ongoing lack of civility on the roads, and it's it's a major issue for residents across the city. Well, and it's it's something that everybody I think has who's ever been on council has experienced. I I, I can still remember one incident. I, I complained about it was Lafayette School, which is not too far from from your ward, and uh, and I sat there with a bylaw officer at three thirty as as the classes were being dismissed. Uh, and, you know, and there's no parking zones, and, of course, there are speed limitations, and people blatantly, with this a uniformed officer standing right beside me, said, to hell with it, I'm going to do this anyway. It, it's amazing the attitude some people take. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. I think we get in our cars, and I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else. And, you know, we, we have the best of intentions, but for whatever reason, our lives are busy, we're running late, and, you know, you're five minutes behind, and you decide, okay, well, maybe I can make up those five minutes by just driving a little bit faster, being a little bit less careful. And those types of choices have uh, repercussions in, in public safety and in neighborhoods where it just seems to be an ongoing problem where we're trying to deal with it with speed bumps, with stop signs, with traffic signals, with uh, pedestrian crosswalks. Um, but there are some new tools available now that uh, that we've been talking about and that will be coming to the city. I want to ask you about that because uh, it's it's interesting the way this discussion has evolved over the last number of years. Mm-hmm. Because as you just mentioned, for instance, speed bumps. I know 15 years ago, city staff would say, "Oh no, you can't do that. You can't put those on the city road." Well, of course, we do now. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 you mentioned about a number of other different initiatives. We we've you know we've tried to do things about putting bike lanes in, reducing lanes, hoping that's going to slow things down. Uh, but I I don't know, John Paul, if there's been a marked difference in this, if people have actually got the message. It's an ongoing uh, challenge, and it, and it's certain certainly something that today is much more at the forefront of thinking, both in the public and uh, at the municipal level within the city. Um, I think we recognize that there are problems on our roads, and part of the solution is the design of the roads, the traffic calming measures, but the other part of that equation is enforcement, which is what we're talking about when we talk about things like um, red light cameras and photo radar. Well, and speed reduction, and I know there's been a a Mm -hmm. pretty healthy discussion around council about that. I know that some areas right now, and you mentioned school zones in particular, uh, there is a, a reduction of speed down to 40 kilometers as opposed to what you may be getting in other residential areas. Some of your colleagues, uh, John Paul, are talking about ha- making that a citywide issue. In other words, the, 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 the speed limit across the whole city on residential streets would be 40 kilometers uh, maximum. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it depends on uh, the individual uh, neighborhood and what the needs of those particular communities are. Um, But like I said, this whole issue of speeding, especially within neighborhoods, is something that we're much more sensitive to now. Um, We have a Vision 2020 policy that we are trying to work towards eliminating um, injuries due to to traffic. And uh, I think it's, it's something that we're paying much closer attention to nowadays. Well, and, and no matter what you want to do vis-a-vis speed limits, I mean, that's, as you mentioned, only going to be effective if you've got enforcement, and you, you can't have a police officer on every street, can you? That's right. And that's back in 2008, 
2017, the uh, the provincial um, government passed what they called the Safer School Zones Act, which gives municipalities the um, authority to identify what they call um, community safety zones. So that could that could be near a school or a park or a rec center or somewhere where there is a particular need, and um, we can enforce those community safety zones. The speeding limits there with um, an automated system, which is commonly referred to as photo radar. So let's let's talk about that. Uh, I can still remember the debate about photo radar. Mm-hmm. It was instituted by the Bob Ray government on a provincial basis back in the early 1990s, uh, much to the chagrin of an awful lot of people. I, I, did, I don't know how many shows I did on it back then, and everybody, oh, it's a, it's a rip-off. And I said, it's a rip you know, you don't, you don't pay if you're obeying the law. But anyway, Mike Harris came along and said, if you got elected, you're just going to scrap it. So he did. But And again, we just talked about changing attitudes. Now here we are in 2019, and not just Hamilton, but a lot of other communities are saying, you know, that wasn't such a bad idea after all. Yeah, and it's interesting how that conversation has evolved. I mean, I think you make the point there, and it's exactly the, the point that um, I think a lot of people re- realize is that if you don't want a ticket, then don't speed or don't drive through a red light and you won't get a ticket. Um, so that that argument that it's, and it, this always comes up when we have this discussion, that it's a money grab or that, you know, the municipality or whoever is instituting the, the system is just out there to make money. But the fact is, if, if you um, follow the behavior that we are trying to promote, you won't get a ticket. And, you know, the the money, the fines that are generated, yes, it does generate fines, um, but the intention would be for those to be reinvested in traffic safety and making our city a better place for everybody to live. Well, former chief of police, Glenn DeCare, is a mantra I remember constantly when he was doing our town halls was always, like, compliance is free. It doesn't cost you anything exactly. to obey the law. And, and I know and, that might sound a little trite, but I mean, that's the economic reality of this. And, and I'm as guilty of it, like I said, as anybody else. I've gotten a red light camera, um, fine. And I remember it clearly. I was running late. The light was turning yellow. I made a conscious decision to push it and then snap. A few uh, you know, days later, I get a ticket in the mail. And I, my behavior has changed because of that. I'm much more careful, um, just that one fine. And I, I think that's important to remember the goal is to change driver behavior the we don't want to be handing out tickets i mean it's it's a regulatory problem it costs the city money to hand out tickets we want to change driver behavior and, and that's the key but if you're going to move on these two roads let's let's talk about the discussion you had john paul about the, about the link and the red hill mm-hmm. uh because this idea about designation and i know that was the motion that you guys passed yesterday uh, about community safety zones. Uh, th- right now, of course, we know the speed limit there is 90 kilometers per hour. Uh, they don't qualify. So if you wanted to do this implementation uh, and designation, you pretty much have to do it in partnership with a, a speed uh, limit reduction on those roads. Or we get uh, special permission. Uh, or an exemption. Yeah, you're right. Yes. Um, so so the, in particular, the Link and the Red Hill are a special situation where they don't qualify under the... Um, the uh, Safer School Zones Act because they have a higher speed limit. So as there are two different processes here. So the the first process is the community safety zone. The second separate process is trying to get permission from the province. And this is something that um, Councillor Marula has been um, leading for years uh, to get special permission from the province to implement uh, photo radar on those roads. So it's a different class. 
how far down the road are you on this? I mean, the 9-to-1 vote yesterday indicates that a lot of your council colleagues uh, seem to be in so- on side with this. Yes, I think the uh, the process is unfolding. Um, the timeline that staff gave us was uh, 2020, uh, when they expect to to have a report back to council with, uh, you know, the locations of the community safety zones. So, you know, it does take some time to, especially when the province is involved, to to communicate with them and to get their um, input and feedback as well. What about right the, now that's the, the timeline. We're looking what at. about the logistics on this, John Paul? Would these, these would, would not be stationary positions. I would imagine they're floating locations depending on, you know, what day of the week it is. Yeah, uh, so... In particular, talking about the community safety zones, uh, photo radar there can be it can be a stationary position, or it can be a vehicle that is moved around to random locations. And some of the reports that I've seen is that it's much more effective to have it random when mm-hmm. you're trying to influence driver behavior. So that you know, if, it, if it's just one location, you know, okay, when I'm on that street, I need to slow down between here and here. Uh, whereas if it's random. Again, the intention is to influence driver behavior. Uh, if it's random, you're much more likely to kind of have that in your head. Okay, I don't know where it's going to be. I'm just going to take it easy and you know drive the speed that I should. Well, sure. I mean, if you know, hey, the red hill at the King Street exit, there's there's photo radar. You slow down there, but then you speed up as soon as you get past it. So it, it kind of defeats mm-hmm. the purpose. Exactly. So uh, there's this, a number that came out from the staff report yesterday that I'm sure raised an awful lot of eyebrows. Uh, it suggested that if you went ahead with this, it could result in about 13,000 tickets per day per location for mm-hmm. photo radar. Uh, and, when, and, of course, staff has already mentioned that that would be too many for the provincial offenses courts to handle. Uh, and, and I can understand that might be a, there's a bit of shock there when you see that number, John Paul. But I think what that does is really underscores how necessary this is. Oh, exactly. I mean, uh, I was definitely surprised to to see that number. Now, I think that probably varies depending on the average annual daily traffic of the specific road where that is located and, you know, what the traffic patterns are. But to your point, it definitely underscores that, you know, this is a major problem within our city, and it's it's something that needs to be addressed. So, Part of the uh, the letter that we are sending, that we approved to send to uh, the province, is requesting that the fines um, not be handled by the Provincial uh, Offenses Act through the courts. That we move to uh, an administrative monetary penalty system, which is the same way that traffic tickets are, um, sorry, parking tickets are handled by the city. So the the fines wouldn't go to court it doesn't bog down the courts it's just a it's just a ticketing system yeah exactly and there's a logistical thing there that, and you can, that you can do an end run around i mean that that is a startling number but at the other end of it as you mentioned i think right at the beginning of our conversation uh the end game here is to try to reduce that number of people that are, are breaking the rules and and you'd like to think that photo radar locations would do that exactly and i think that's something that um it would be very interesting to track and to um you know, assess the uh, success of the uh, system once it's in place is to say, okay, at the beginning, we're seeing this many fines. Are we reducing the fines? Do we need a public education campaign to go along with just enforcement to make sure that people are aware that there is enforcement? And the goal would be to get that number of fines to continuously reduce that because, again, it's about changing driver behavior. Well, I know that there's some pretty positive comments around the council table yesterday uh, as this idea was being uh, thrashed around. 
Uh, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot of support from it from a lot of your constituents. But uh, as I'm sure you've found out, everybody's in favor of it until they're the one that gets caught. Uh, and then they'll be the first one on the phone to you saying, hey, what are you guys doing? It's a, it's a money grab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's something that we need to be aware of, that it can be controversial. And we, we do need to be careful of specifically what the level of fine is and also what the um, sensitivity of the equipment is that, you know, if the speed limit's 40, if you're driving 41, do you get a ticket or is there some sort of buffer there? And I think part of that uh, resistance to it depends on, you know, the, the chance of if you're just slightly um, speeding that you're going to get a ticket versus having you know, what people would consider a reasonable buffer in there. Yeah, and that's to be determined, obviously, because that's obviously right. one of the arguments we've always heard. Oh, I was only going one kilometer over the limit, and I got a ticket. I, I don't think so. I mean, there's probably something else going on, too, uh, some ex- some other factors involved. Uh, interesting debate, interesting discussion. Uh, not the first time nor the last time we're going to talk about this, but uh, it looks like council's moving in the right direction on this. I look forward to that staff report, and I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, at that point. John Paul, thanks so much for the time today. My pleasure. Good morning. Take care. That's uh, John Paul Danko, of course, uh, Councillor for Ward 8. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.